Hi, I am Jada Siri Ramos. I am the producer of A Public Affair here on WORT. And I have a request. Madison Magazine is running their annual Best of Madison competition. And I need you to go nominate A Public Affair as the best podcast Madison has to offer. All you have to do is go to tinyurl.com slash vote W-O-R-T. Nominations are open all throughout this month, and you can nominate us every single day. Now, the actual voting doesn't take place till June, but if we're not nominated, we can't be voted on. So go nominate us. Again, that's tinyurl.com slash vote W-O-R-T. Thanks so much, and I'm so excited for everyone to know that A Public Affair is the best podcast in Madison. Six foot six above sea level. I grab my mic because I like to take it to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground. We bring the truth to places. Good afternoon. You're listening to WORT 89.9 FM Madison. I'm your host, Ali Maldro. This is a public affair, and today we are joined by Nicholas Gulig, who is the new poet laureate for the state of Wisconsin. Nicholas, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. How are you? I am so excited to get to have you here. And I'm also incredibly happy that is election day. Get out there and vote, y'all. Like the the Supreme Court is on the ballot. School boards across the state are on the ballot. This is an important election. Show up and vote, my friends. I won't tell you who to vote for, but I'm going to tell you to vote over and over again right here on WORT 89.9 FM. Nick, how does it feel to be you know, the king of poetry in Wisconsin, the the the, the uh, top poet to of our state. The, um, I was trying to explain to my daughter's fifth grade class. It was funny, like the first thing that I did at the Court of Wisconsin was go and speak to a bunch of fifth graders in Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin. And they were asking me what a poet laureate was. And I didn't really, I didn't know how to explain it to kids. So I was just like, it's kind of like, uh, you know, like in, football or something it's like mvp like most most valuable poet right but of course that's not true there you know like it it's um there are many more valuable poets in the state of wisconsin and other way in other places but right Um, now for the next two years the spotlight is on you um and i think poet laureate you know, is an interesting thing, especially to talk to the poet laureate on on election day, because you know this this position blends poetry and politics, um, and and so what what does it feel like to kind of have your poetry, your work as an artist, politicized um, to the state of Wisconsin? Well, it's complicated. Um, there's a part of me that's a, there's a part of me that's kind of resistant to there's a part of me that's resistant to this idea of the poem as a vehicle for something other than itself. Even though at the same time that I say that, I, I realize I realize that it is or, or that it can be. And what I say, like where my hesitancy resides, I think has to do uh, has to do in large part of of where my relationship with poetry started, right? So when I started writing poems as a 12-year-old kid in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, in my childhood bedroom, I didn't write poems for any other reason other than the fact that I wanted to write poems, right? There wasn't this external or ulterior motive. I was like, the poem didn't have a purpose outside of itself, right? And I think one of the things that's difficult about living, you know, in a country, you know, in the late stages of capitalism is that like the logic of capitalism has so thoroughly pervaded our lives that we think of everything as having to have a kind of like utilitarian or kind of transactional uh, reason or justification, right? Mm. There, there has to be something other than the thing or the action that justifies the thing or the action's value or justifies its presence. And when I first started writing poetry, I, that didn't exist. And there was something like liberating about having something that of, of performing an activity whose worth was inherent to it, 
right? I had no, I had so few other experiences like that. Um, and so I think that's where my hesitancy of thinking of poetry as, as serving a political purpose resides. That being said, there's tons of politics. <laughs> there's tons of politics. Well, yeah, and you that. you were appointed by the the governor. The poet laureate isn't you know it isn't picked by a small well, group of, of fifth um, graders so in Fort Accident. That's uh, that's that's actually not the case anymore. So our last governor um, killed the poet laureate position um, in one of his you know. Uh, so wait, Scott Walker got rid of poet laureates. Yeah, it costed just, about two thousand dollars no, a year. There ain't no poetry in this town. It it, it costed cost the state of Wisconsin about two thousand dollars a year to um have a poet laureate and Walker wanted to trim the budget or whatever. Um so in the absence of that, which is actually which is really wonderful, a lot of like disparate kind of grassroots literature poetry organizations around the state all kind of banded together and kind of formed the Poet Laureate Commission. So in in lieu of like state sponsorship, right, we have now kind of like grassroots sponsorship of people and organizations across the state working together to kind of keep this uh, institution alive in um, in lieu of its... Uh, in lieu of Scott Walker. I feel like so many of us have had to do that in the wake of Scott Walker. Yeah, I mean, I, there's a little part of me that's like, oh, this is kind of terrifying because I think that, that crowdsourcing our poet laureate is one thing, but I think that's also uh, the plan of our of our Republicans for public education is, you know, mm-hmm. we'll... we'll you all figure it out. Anyway, uh, today, you know, we're, we're talking about what it means for you to be the Poet Laureate right here on WORT 89.9 FM. I'm your host, Ali Muldrow. We're talking to our our new Poet, poet, poet Laureate, um, who is, you know, a professor in, uh, associate professor at UW-Whitewater. He is a Thai-American poet, husband, and father of two girls, and he's the author of North Order, Book of Lake, and Orient. Are you working on a, a book of poetry right now, Nick Nicholas? I mean, I think in some ways, like you're always working on a book of poetry, whether you're actually sitting down in front of a computer or, or not. Um, so in that sense, yes, but also in the kind of more, I think, the spirit of the way that you're asking that question. Like I'm working on a book that's tentatively called right now, The Other Altar. And um, I've been working on this book for about three, four years now. Um, and I'll probably just keep working on it until it gets taken somewhere. So, You talked a little bit about how you got into poetry. Um, and I like the idea of poetry not being inherently political. Um, but one of my favorite poems is Every Poet is a Pickup Line. And and you're you're a partner. Valentine's just uh, passed. Do you feel like that you have you have created poetry, you know, as part of the way to celebrate life or the romance of life or the beauty of love? What do you think the the themes in of your poetry have been, um, and and what you know what's worth writing poems about for you? Yeah, well, I think the things that are worth writing poems about are the things that we have the hardest time speaking of in other language, right? And those tend to be, in my experience, the things that matter most to, I think, most to most people or all, maybe even all people, I'd like to think, right? Those kinds of like conceptual abstractions that are such a important and kind of definitive part of our lives. Things like love, like you mentioned, right? Things like death these kind of universal experiences that are on the one hand, like very, very immediate and and real and something that we experience all the time. And yet, like, I always ask my students, like, what is love? And then there's just silence. You know what I mean? There's just silence in the classroom because like, when you try to explain it, right, when you try to put into words what love is, you're immediately struck by the inadequacy of, of your ability to do so, like using normal language, right? Like any explanation of what love is feels so far away from what the actual experience 
of love is. And so where ordinary language falls short, I think that's where poetry takes over, right? There's a there's a critic named Andrew Duran who has an essay called The Emergency. Um, and the essay, right, and the essay begins, like, what good is poetry in a time like this, right? And he's he's writing after, he's writing in the wake of 9-11, when I think the country was turning to poets and asking poets, like, what do we say in the wake of, you know, immense uh, trauma? What do we say in the in the wake of immense tragedy? In, in the wake of immense tragedy, right? and in that essay, he says, if I'm remembering right, he says where where language fails, poetry begins. And so I think I turn to poems and I sit down to try to write any time that I'm that I'm feeling something that's really hard to kind of put into language in the way that you and I are talking right now, right? Like there's there's this place where ordinary language reaches its limit. And then that's when language starts to need strangeness and and novelness. And uh, we have to start using words in ways that would otherwise kind of land us in an insane asylum, right? Like if we spoke in poems, people would think we're crazy, right? But we turn to poems when we're in love. We turn to poems when the people we love pass away. I think like the art form that is speaking in verse theatrically is actually kind of being reborn in this moment. And I think about the the Showtime series, Blind Spotting, um, from Rafael Casal and David Diggs um, and Jazzy Jones, in which, you know, they often rely on on verse uh in 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 place of dialogue and and in some ways you know you could think of it as a nod to hip hop some folks might call it a nod to Shakespeare um, you know kind of the reinvention of of the musical or the more po- poetic format in which we engage when you think about your favorite poets or kind of the evolution of poetry in this modern moment what is really compelling to you what what artists who are who are writing and performing and and contributing to the way we think about verse um are really resonating with you these days oh well this it's one of those questions like there are so many that when you ask the question like my mind goes blank um I know it's like that panic moment when you're like, I don't want to not know who I love and respect. And I also don't want to like leave anybody out or like, you know. Yeah. So I read one of the things about living the life that I've lived, which is which means like to a large degree, I've spent a lot of my life like in the in academia. Right. So I study poetry in college in Montana, and then I studied poetry again as a master's student uh, at the University of Iowa, and then again as a PhD student at the University of Denver, and I now teach poetry at a university. And, you know, there's, there's ups and downs to that. But one of the like, one of the like, wild ups to that experience is that I know a lot of poets, like I, a lot of my friends are poets, and they're wildly talented writers like they're really really good and so a lot of who i read is just like you know like a friend's book came out you know this month and so that's what i'm reading and then two months later someone else's book comes out and so like my friends keep me really really busy just trying to like stay in touch with them which is one of the ways that i look at their books right like we've all moved to different parts of the country and, and so i read them probably like my oldest poetry friend is a poet named jane wong um who's a chinese american poet who teaches in uh bellingham now lives in seattle um she just had a well, not just i guess a couple of years now she had a book recently her last book was called how to not be afraid of everything and that book is wildly incredible I, I teach it every semester or almost every semester um she's my oldest poetry friend she's like uh you have, you meet you have these people that like you filter everything through like there's nothing i write that doesn't pass through her eyes and ear and mind right at least several times before it ends up as whatever it ends up um a poet that's probably stayed with me the longest like my kind of go-to answer like who's a poet that that matters to you who's your who's your favorite poet is a poet named George Oppen 
um, in Oppen was writing in the 50s and 60s. And I love Oppen uh, for a thousand reasons, but maybe like today, Voting Day is, is one of the reasons why I love him is he wrote his first book as a young man. Um, and the book was was wildly uh, praised. It was had a forward by Ezra Pound, who at that time was like the grandfather of, of poetry. And Ezra Pound kind of wrote the introduction to that book and was like, hey, this is the next great American poet. And then Oppen stopped writing for 25 years after his first book came out because he needed to go fight Nazis in World War II, right? And then when he came back, he needed to go uh, organize for uh, tenants and, and, and workers, right? He joined, he came back and joined the Communist Party and just like fought for other people's rights, right? And And he understood that there was something bigger than the poem, right? That there was, that there was something larger and more important, right? In one of his essays, he says something like, how can you write a poem if your neighbor's house is burning, right? And so he stopped writing for 25 years and then lived in exile in Mexico because of, um, you know, they were arresting communists and stuff in the United States back then. So he, had, he and his wife lived in exile and then he came back after 25 years of not writing and wrote what I think is one of the most important poems in, in the American tradition, which is a poem called Of Being Numerous um, in the book by that title. Uh, won the Pulitzer Prize. Like he's he's really incredibly inspirational to me. Mm. I feel like I just learned so much in that in that you know being able not only to describe like this person's work but this person's life and why why that and I love the idea of forcing yourself to think about you know when is it appropriate to write a poem um, yeah. versus when when it's when it is not uh, appropriate. To, to write a poem. One of my favorite poems, the the artist starts out by saying, um, actually, Eve, Eve, Evelyn Gildry Voyle, I think, wrote this, which is, you know, um, when when a when a child dies, people light candles. When when a football team loses, people burn down a city. Um, yeah. And I I thought, oh man, it's such a you know, poetry observes some of the the most. I think consequential phenomena is we experience as people and really holds them up to the light and forces us to to look at ourselves and look at each other. If you're just joining this conversation, you're listening to WORT 89.9 FM Madison. My name is Ali Muldrow, and today we are joined by Nick Guleg, our new appointed state poet laureate. If you'd like to join the conversation, give us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 9, or reach out to us on Twitter at WORT Talk or the A Public Affair Facebook page. There's a lot of ways to, to get a hold of us and to join this conversation. Huge shout out to our engineer, Ben, and our producer, Jade, and our news director, Sholly Pittman. Um, these are like the, the people that bring this show together and, and make sure that we get to have conversations that are important and local and engaging. And just a quick reminder, it is Tuesday, February 21st. This is a really good day to go out and vote. Um, so so make it to your polls, folks. Hopefully you're, you're on your way there now. Nick, do you mind if I ask, will you share a poem with our audience today? I can, absolutely. Um, let's, uh, so here, the poem that I've been sharing on these type of interviews um, is a poem. So we're talking about love and like, and we're talking about politics. I think this poem is somewhere uh, living in between those those two uh, poles. And um, it's the first poem that I finished uh, as the as as laureate. I, I had started it before, um, but then finished it after learning that I became laureate. So this is really like my first my first poem as Wisconsin State laureate. And it's called "In Our Gardens, Forests Are Prepared." Um, it's a poem for my wife. In our gardens, forests are prepared. Our being here together is the night-struck violet plucked from an edge-blue curve of air. The light does not absolve us. Because we named our children in the shadow of a failing garden, the white rose listens. I love the, I love the thousand shades of you. Every morning, 
Our daughters sleep beyond themselves in day glow. The house grows quiet in their wake. To the place where you should be, I lash the ache of every brightness I've disfigured, the years that we have left. Bury with me the bottom half of fence posts in the yard. Pack the loose dirt harder. These days, I'm beginning to believe that I belong here. Because we chose to raise our children in the center of an empire, the low grass glistens in the west wind. At night, the sky edge finds us staring at our hands. It is easy to forget we left a world for this one. That's a really beautiful poem. Well, thank you. I I think about, you know, what it is to write poetry about people or what it is to write about people, um, period. And so I I feel like, you know, referencing another Pulitzer Prize winner, Kendrick Lamar uh, recently wrote in his, his album, um, Stop Playing With Me Before I Turn You Into a Song. Um, and And I think, like, there is the ability to write about people from a space of love and affirmation. There's also uh, the ability to write about people in a way that is exposing um, in terms of what you don't necessarily admire about people. Mm -hmm. Uh, How do you decide when you're going to write from a space of admiration versus when you're going to write from a space of critique? Um, Most of my admir- most of my admiration is pointed outwards and most of my critique is pointed inward. Um, I think like, I think the person I'm, the individual I'm hardest on in my writing is, is myself. Um, I think, uh, you know, to some degree, like, you know, like there's a tradition in, in, uh, in poetry of confessionalism, right. Where you're kind of like in trying to like, um, to, you're trying to put into language the ways that you've fallen short or the ways that you've failed your own, um, ethics or the ways, the ways that you've failed your own ideals. And, um, I find that I'm hardest on, I'm hardest, I'm harder on myself than I am on anyone else. I think like when I'm celebrating, I, I try to save that for other people. Mm. Does that strategy ever get stressful in terms of kind of doing that that work internally? It's me and Jade were actually talking about this before you got on the air about the the work of kind of healing um, mm-hmm. and, and the parts of healing that people don't talk about. And, you know, the, the parts uh, of healing that require you to confront your coping mechanism and, and be really reflective about not how you got to where you are, but who you are. In, in being where you are. Um, do you have moments where, you know, it it's exhausting to engage with yourself, to to analyze your yourself or to be really critical of yourself as as a part of how you express your art? I don't know if it's I don't know if it's exhausting. I think I've always I think I've always been fairly critical of, of myself. Um, or at least I've always been like confused by myself. It, maybe maybe that's a better word than, than critical. Um, and so like I've, it, it's just become. It feels normal, right? It, it feels, it feels like it's just that's just that's just one edge of attention, right? It, and I think that's what the poem is trying to do. Is the poem is trying to pay attention and um and trying to pay attention to the self without being without becoming like um you know like there's a there's a dark way to pay attention to the self right like there's um you know like there's a there's an attention paid to the self that approaches narcissism right and i Mm. think we see that and i think we see that in politics too um and so i think maybe Maybe like the the extent to which I kind of am I'm averse to celebrating myself has to do with my aversion to narcissism. Like I think I can protect myself from narcissism if I can just be hard on myself all the time. If you don't let you don't let your your ego get out of hand, you know yeah. you. I I respect that that strategy and had not thought about it like that at all. When you think about kind of you know when poetry 
is important in people's lives, like the big events of our lives, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you think of like weddings and and funerals, mm -hmm. and there's always um, a different relationship with 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 language. Uh, Saul Williams, I heard Saul Williams speak, you know, many years ago, and he said, "What do you call poetry when it's really old?" Um, and you know, he he then said, "You call it scripture. Old poems mm -hmm. are 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 yeah. you know the belief systems of the past." When you think about how important poetry is in people's lives, that you know, kind of monumental moments in people's lives um, usually require poetry. Um, how does that impact your your approach to your work? It it like sets a very like heavy stage, right? Like um, the poem is one of the few places where I take myself really, really seriously. Um, and where, where I, I think that's like the, the seriousness of attention. When one of, when I think about poetry, I always come back to that word attention and you want to take attention serious. Uh, you want to be, you want to be serious about your attention. And so I don't know, like I have two young kids. So like, I'm oftentimes not very serious, you know, like, um, and, you know, like I try to keep my classrooms, like being a professor is partially trying to be an entertainer, right? Like you have to, kids are so damn distracted. Like you have to like, you know, put on a clown suit and dance around in front of you the have classroom. to, you have to be more interesting than their cell phone. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and so like the, it actually feels like a, like a place, like seriousness feels like a place of, of refuge like at least the way that my life seems to be organized right now. And and so I'm grateful for the poem for allowing me that, which is not to say that like, that the poem can't play, right? Like the, like, like John Coltrane was serious about his music, but like he was having fun too, right? Like seriousness doesn't like preclude joy it doesn't preclude any of those things i think sometimes when we think when we say the word serious we're like you know like brooding and like there's a kind of darkness that comes or heaviness that comes with that word but like i mean i can't think of an artist who is more serious about his art than someone like john coltrane and there's that his music is full of joy and full of celebration and full of play and full of like the whole spectrum right like like um, I was reading, I've been reading one of my kind of lifelong projects is to like purchase every John Coltrane record that's ever been recorded, which of course I won't ever be able to afford or do. Um, but I was reading, for example, um, he has a song called Alabama, right? Which is one of my favorite John Coltrane songs. And he wrote it after the bombing of the church, right? In, in Alabama where, um, all those kids were killed yeah four little and, girls yeah and um he he martin luther king gave this sermon at their he gave their eulogy right like king went and and um gave the eulogy at their funeral and uh, you know and coltrane took that eulogy and tried to follow like the cadences and rhythms and like the syllabic patterns from from Martin Luther King's eulogy from, you know, from, from that, from that tragedy. And, um, and so the song like starts in this really kind of solitary, kind of like, like mournful sound, right? It's like this solo saxophone, like kind of crying, but like the, the longer, the, the longer he plays, like then the band starts to kind of like, follow him you know and then the song like turns into a kind of um celebration a, a dark and a sad celebration but but the the song finds its the song finds itself after that and uh, i take a lot of inspiration um from the way that he treats his music mm. I, I feel like in just listening to you talk about poetry it's easy to you know, f learn from you as as an artist and learn about about artists. And I think 
when kids show an interest at art or a lot of skill in the area of art or artistic expression, they're often told that it's not a real job, um, that it's really hard to be successful in in the areas of, of creativity. <laughs> um, so so talk a little bit about you know, how you how you stuck with it, how you continued to to make art, how you made a career out of poetry, because I think um, so many of us have been told that that's that's not realistic. It's not something you can do. And there are many ways in which that's true, right? There are many ways in which it isn't realistic. There are many ways in which it isn't practical. Um, But I stuck with it despite all of despite all of that um why and again and i think that that comes back to like my experience my first experiences with it where like it didn't require and i didn't need it to accomplish anything other than itself like like the poem was valuable the the experience of sitting down and and listening to language and moving words around and finding finding joy and finding joy in the, in the ways that different words sounded against each other like that right because like when when you're 13 writing arguably bad poems in your in your bedroom like there isn't any promise of you know there's no certainly no financial promise at the end of at the end of that poem right there's no um, there's no fame or fortune attached to it, right? And you're doing it regardless, right? Because you're not doing it for something other than it than itself. And I think that because I cultivated that kind of relationship where the poem was an ends and not a means, right? To an ends, that it was just e- not easy, but like I just kept doing it. And everything else I did wasn't as rewarding as that you know like I could go get I would you know I work jobs my parents were poor so I had to work jobs my whole life and my jobs certainly weren't rewarding (laughs) in any kind of substantial way like yeah I got money for my jobs right not a lot but I got money but that wasn't rewarding like nothing I did was rewarding compared to that so like of course maybe I just kept writing poems because I loved them because they were them, right? Like it, they, it was a kind of unconditional um, love, right? Like it doesn't mm. matter what come, what, what you get in return, right? You, you love your children no matter who they are, how much money their braces cost you, right? <laughs> um, Way to get really real with the braces yeah. comment. I've got a 13 year old and. It's yeah. quite the price tag in her yeah. in her jaw right now. Um, My but, daughter promises me she'll pay me back someday. So. You know, it's like I think it's worth it for the for the smile, you know, and knowing yeah. that your kid can be. Yeah, but I do. I think I think to talk about poetry and to talk about your work as something that you love unconditionally, I think that's so the difference between artists and everybody else. Um, yeah. And I think that that is, is something that, that we should talk about a lot more. If you're just joining us, you're just tuning in, you're just jumping into your car, you're listening to A Public Affair on WORT 89.9 FM. My name is Ali Muldrow, and today we are joined by Nick Guleg, our new appointed state poet laureate. If you'd like to join the conversation, give us a call. Talk to us a little bit about what you love about poetry or learn a little bit more about poetry. The number is 608-256-2001, extension 9. Or reach out to us on Twitter or reach out to us on Facebook. You can get a hold of us is the point. I I wanted to ask you a little bit about reading poetry. Um mm-hmm. Because I my my father was recently hospitalized and we tried to read a couple books, actually, while he was in in the hospital. And, you know, one of them was too political. It actually really agitated him. And and one of them, you know, he was too exhausted to really follow. And what we ended up doing was reading uh, a book of of poems you know, about 48 poems, you know, over the course of his stay in the hospital. Um, and and I thought about how poetry is uniquely 
positioned in this space of connection, this space of intimacy, um, and this space of healing. And they're almost kind of, you know, the way they're like the the ver- they're like the variety of children's books that we hold on to as adults, you know, because they can be easily accessed and and easily digested um, in terms of storytelling. How do you incorporate reading poetry in into your life? And and do you read, you know, your poetry to your family? Do you read the poetry of other people? How does how does reading poetry and sharing poetry with people uh, fit into your role as poet laureate? Well, so that's going to being the poet laureate is going to radically change my change that relationship for me. So that's one of the things. Like I get asked sometimes, like, what are you in, what are you excited about? And like, I think what what I'm excited about is like how this role, which is so public, right? It's so outward facing. Like, how is that going to change my relationship to this to this activity, which since you know i'm 43 now so i probably started writing when i was 12 or something i don't know what the math is on that but um, 31 years 30 yeah for 30 some years like it's it's been a private like inward facing activity and that's my relationship to it and like yes i teach poems in 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 school to students and stuff but for the most part, it's a it's a private inward activity, and now it is the polar opposite of that. And how the, a question I'm interested in in spending some time with and in in, in uh, wandering around in is like how does the outward public nature of this position how is it going to affect my relationship to the act of reading and the act of writing poems? And I don't know. I don't have the answer to that yet. I just I I have to assume that it's going to change it. And I'm both scared, nervous about that, right? Like, I'm just as afraid of change as, you know, anyone (laughs) like as anyone else. But I'm also excited and um, curious about that, right? And I think it's really important because, you know, I'm in the middle of my life now. I'm 43 years old. I don't know how long I'm going to live, but like, like one thing I've come to understand is that when you get like things die when when you get too familiar with them, like when you get too used to them. And I think that's right around this age is when people have midlife crises, right? I, that's that's the way it is in the movies or whatever. And like I don't want to get used to poetry. Like mm. I don't want it to become so familiar in such a part of my daily patterns and routines that it that it ceases to have the magic that I've always relied on it to provide me and so one of the ways that I'm trying to kind of um navigate my anxiety about like being a public poet is to tell myself well this is going to change and thus renovate or renew your relationship and thus keep alive your relationship to this thing that has that is so important to you um and so that's one of the ways that i think about that um i don't read poems to my family my my kids don't read my poems my wife you know english is her second language and like poetry is kind of like a would then kind of like be like a foreign language within a foreign language (laughs) if that makes sense that absolutely makes sense yeah so um but I have like when my grandmother died, I read poems to her as she was dying. Um, and when my father died, I read him my first book. So w- what was lucky or the timing that obviously I wish he was still here, but my first book had just come out um, not long before he before he passed away. And so one of the things I'm really grateful for is is that I was able to read that book. Um, I was able to read that book to him right at the end of his life. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it felt so appropriate, right? Like I'd grown up with him reading poems to me, right? Like he read me, he, he read me poems as, you know, as bedtime stories uh, when I was, mm-hmm. when I was young. Um, and, and, the, to be able to do that for him felt right. 
uh, to be able to read a book that I had written and that had been published felt not that I don't think he would have seen it this way, but I felt like, how do I want to say this? My dad made so many sacrifices for us as kids and he wasn't one of those parents that was going to tell me like, look, we're too poor for you to be going and like going to college for poetry. Right. Which is, would make sense. Right. Like he was always encouraged. It was supportive. He never expressed openly, at least to me, any like anxieties about like, what is my son going to do with, you know, $55,000 of debt and a degree in, in poetry. Right. Um, and I felt like, I felt as he was dying and maybe I, I wanted, I wanted him to be proud of me. Right. Like I wanted him to, to feel like his sacrifices were worth something. Right. That, that, uh, that I had made, uh, something of myself. Right. Um, and I know that he wouldn't, he would have told me had he been able to speak he would have said like you don't need to prove anything or, or whatever but I felt I felt that right well and I think it's such an incredible opportunity I was I was recently listening to a conversation with a with an author who had just published his his first book and his mother had died a few weeks before it came out and there was this sense that it was something she would have been proud of and he and happy for him um, mm -hmm. and wasn't wasn't there for it. I think, you know, as when your parents are sick or when your parents, you know, are dying, um, you don't take for granted the things that you get to share with them and, and the influence yeah. they've had on on your life. And I was just always like a little bit behind. Right. Like I didn't start college till I was 22, you know. Um, oh, do they need a phone number? <laughs> they've got, I think they, they've got one in the chat, but just okay. so that our listeners understand, um, for some reason in four minutes, we're going to shift to the phone because we're having a, a, a technical issue. Okay. Um, and yeah, thank you. Thank you for, for sticking with us, Nicholas, and, you know, making, making it work either way. Um, I think a lot of times folks compare you know, kind of modern poetry to what we consider to be um, the examples of poetry, right? Really, really old poems, really um, specific forms. Uh, how do you, you know, do you embrace kind of like, I'm going to write haikus and, and pantoons and, you know, I'm going to lean into the, the literary tools of poetry? Um, when do you when do you think you're you're writing from a space of studying poetry and and yeah. understanding the different kinds of poems you can create um, versus kind of abandoning you know the rules and standards of poetry and and forcing poetry to evolve? Yeah, so like I think it's really important to know where you come from, right? Like I'm not. I'm not a traditional poet, but I'm aware of the tradition, um, both both in terms of what was included in both and as well as like what was excluded from, you know, from the, from at least like from the Western, whatever that means, whatever from the Western tradition. And I like to think that it's important to realize that you stand on the shoulders of folks who did things before you. And I think it's important to realize that like your elders have something to teach you at the same time, right? At the same time that that's true, like you don't want to, or you want to kind of strike off on your own. Right. And so I think you're trying to do, you're trying to, you're trying to do both those things at the same time. You're trying to like honor the tradition that you're a part of and that you're an extension of, and that without which you, you wouldn't be able to do what you do. And at the same time, you want to walk away. Yeah. I think it's a, a really 
you know, it's a, a complex thing because I think you do want to honor the generations that come before you. And I think there there's a need to use poetry differently in this moment um, than it's been used before. You know, if you're just joining us, you're listening to WORT 89.9 FM. I'm your host, Ali Muldrow. This is A Public Affair. And today we're talking to Wisconsin's Poet Laureate, Nicholas Gulag. Nicholas will be serving as the state's top poet for the next two years. He is a Fort Atkinson resident and a UW-Whitewater associate professor. He is a Thai American poet, husband, father of two girls, and he is the author of of North of Order, Book of Lake, and Orient. Thank you so much for for joining us today on WORT, Nick. Um, And thank you for rolling with the punches of our technology situation. Hopefully you can you can hear me right now. Um, Yeah, I can. All right. We're we're making it. We're making a slight pivot Um, and we're we're doing it pretty seamlessly. What are kind of misperceptions about poetry or things you think, you know, people, you know, say to you about poetry that you want to address? I guess you teach poetry. So what comes up when you're teaching poetry to young people? I think one of the, I think people make a kind of a one-to-one equivalency between like poetry and self-expression. Mm. Um which is not to say that I don't think poetry can express the self, right? That that's that's not what I mean. But I think people have a really especially like my younger students, that's what it is to them. Like poet the poem is a place on a page where I can express what I think and what I feel. And that is true. That is one thing that that poems can do. But I think what often happens, if that's the only way that you're relating to the poem, or or if that's the only way that the poem is living in your mind with your idea, uh, if if that's the only idea you have of it, the poems you write aren't often going to be that good, right? Like, I think if if we're thinking of poems as as a means to self-expression, I think we start to kind of in, kind of come up upon that that kind of danger line that we were talking about earlier where like where the self slips into a kind of like narcissistic kind of obsession with its own with its own um worldviews with its own experiences and so on and so forth. And I think when that happens the poem ceases to be curious, right? Like I try to tell my students like try to write from a place of not knowing, right? Try to write from a place of curiosity. Don't always think of the poem as here's a place where I can say on the page what I think to be true and what I feel to be true, right? That, that we can also treat the poem as a kind of a place that can kind of pull things out of us that we weren't, aware was there and i think that if we follow and pay attention and like chase the image if we follow and pay attention and chase music right if we put music before truth new truths emerge right if if we're if the next word we write on the page is emerging from a musical decision as opposed to like a knowledge or a kind of expressive decision I think what happens often is that we find ourselves saying things we didn't realize we had it in us to say. And in that way, we learn new things about the subjects that cause us to sit down and write the poem in the first place. Right. And I don't, I'm inter- I'm most interested in, in poems that operate in that way. Like I, I don't write to kind of affirm what I already know to be the case. I think that I write, to experience, right, what is subliminal in me, to to kind of pull things out of me that I didn't realize was there. And in that way, the self that gets expressed is a self that's always in a process of emergence or a self that is always expanding instead of of, um, 
retracting in the way that, that narcissism uh, risks. What I love about your answer is you really talk about what a poem is in talking about the way that that we write poems. And one of my favorite classes was a class with Esme Schwal in high school. It was an advanced creative writing class. And I don't know if you're familiar with the cold plums, um, you know, note to to a spouse poem, right? Like I I, I ate the plums you left in the fridge and I'm sorry because I know they were for the dessert, but they were so cold and so sweet. Is that a poem or is that just somebody acknowledging um, that they that they took plums out of, of the, out of the fridge that were intended some, for something different? In this last minute, I'm going to ask you to define for the folks who are out there listening to us, getting ready to vote, um, you know, what what is a poem? Well, one of the ways that I talk to my students about what a poet is, is I draw, I, I'm a really bad artist, but I, I draw a picture of an eyeball inside an ear. And I think that a poem is the product of a kind of twofold process, two, two different forms of simultaneous attention. A poem is a product of listening, right, of paying attention to music, and it's a product of paying attention, right, to your eye, you're chasing song, you're chasing images, and in the pursuit of 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 those, or in in those kind of twin pursuits, right, all these other thoughts, feelings make themselves present, make themselves known, and so the poem is are the is a, is, a, is the accumulation of thoughts and feelings that emerges out of the kind of simultaneous attention paid to music and paid to the image. Nicholas, I cannot thank you enough for being our poet laureate here in Wisconsin and for joining us today on WORT 89.9 FM. My name's Ali Muldrow. This is A Public Affair. You're listening to WORT 89.9 FM, Madison. We'll see y'all next week. Thanks.